And I'm speaking today on prayer. And now today the object is um, not to try and convince you to pray. If you're a Christian, you should. Uh, It's not to try and kind of tell you that prayer is important. It is. It's not to try and guilt you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one should walk out of this room if you are in Christ, feeling any sense of condemnation. But what I'm seeking today is less, here's how you pray. We've often heard messages like that before. But more, I want to stir us some reminders of the need to be together in prayer. We kicked off a couple of weeks ago this theme for 2020, seeking God afresh for breakthrough, victory, and conquest. Believe in God. You are all you say you are. We believe it by faith. We're so thankful for what we've seen. We're so thankful for evidence of your power in our life. And we're so thankful for all the stuff that you have done individually in us and corporately in this venue and across all the venues of New Community. And yet, we're just believing you afresh for more. And if we want to see more, we're going to have to pray. And if we're going to pray and persevere in prayer, we need one another. Right, we need one another. I was reading just uh, this last week about New Year's uh, resolutions that most people have abandoned them by the 12th of January. So we're a week gone now. But for those who succeed, a kind of key to succeeding in your New Year's resolutions is to involve others and have a, a group with a shared goal. Now we're just talking about kind of in that. That was a, a, an article in a newspaper about things like. I don't know, dry January and various other nonsense things. Um, that nothing to do with nothing to do with 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 church. Nothing to do with anything spiritual. Just very practically, if you join with other people in doing something, you're more likely to do it. It's kind of common sense, right? So when it comes to praying and being a people of prayer, because the word describes the church as being a house of prayer, we need one another. Now, of course, there is a place for praying alone and we should have our own prayer life. There are moments where we are to go and close the door and pray in secret. But it doesn't stay there. We need other people as well. We need, to, we need to walk with one another and pray together. There is something significant about the people of God praying together. So if you've got a Bible with you, don't worry if you've not. It will, all the verses should hopefully... All the ones I've given them anyway will uh, appear on the screen. But we're going to be in a few different places, Luke chapter 11 and then Acts 1 and Acts 4. Luke and Acts were both written by Luke. And there's reoccurring themes that come throughout both books. And prayer is one of those reoccurring themes. Luke opens his gospel with stories of prayer and he closes his gospel with a story of prayer and throughout the gospel of Luke, Luke goes out of his way, if we had time we would go through it verse by verse but we would be here for a while, he goes out of his way to show that throughout the gospel of Luke, Jesus depended upon and invested a great amount of time in prayer. He goes and shows us that even the source of Jesus' power was prayer, that Jesus' ministry was not of his own initiative, but he depended on the power that the Father gave him and did in and through him. And that power was accessed through spending time with, in the presence of, communing with, praying with the Father. And Luke shows us that Jesus' whole life was saturated with prayer. He prayed early in the morning. He withdrew to desolate places to pray. He prayed through his temptation. He prayed all night. He prayed alone. He prayed with the disciples. Jesus prayed. Look at uh, Luke for a moment, chapter 11. Uh, 
Very famous bit. Starting at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying, there we go, in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And then he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. I just find it really fascinating that of all the things that his disciples could have asked him, they asked him to teach them to pray. Like, you think about it for a moment, all the stuff that they've seen, they've walked with Jesus, all the miracles they've seen, all the incredible sermons they've heard, and this is what they wanted to learn more about. Not teach us to preach, or teach us how to do the miracle stuff, or, or teach us that wine thing again, that would be cool, or any, no, teach us to pray. That, that's what they asked, teach us to pray. So how does that kind of land with us? Well, the, the obvious thing is if we want to be Jesus people, and uh, we're learning to live like him, and follow him, and, and be more like him, then we need to do the things that he did, right? And one of the things, if Jesus had to pray, how much more do we have to pray? I mean, that, that's kind of a in one sense, an obvious landing point. But there's something else here as well that when we as a church begin to uh, engage in the practice of prayer together, we, we create the kind of, uh, if you like, a, a shared experience and accountability across generations. There's something in prayer that binds us and knits us together as we learn from one another how to live like Jesus. You see, when it comes to prayer and fasting, I, I've learned some stuff from reading about it. There's lots of good stuff out there you can read. I mean, there's some rubbish stuff as well, but you can, you can learn stuff by reading about prayer or about fasting. You can learn stuff from listening to people like me talking about it. Oh, I didn't know that. I learned a little bit today. But truthfully, most of the things that I have learned about prayer and definitely about fasting has been actually doing it with other people. Like I, I kind of thought I was half decent at praying until I started praying with some other people and thought, I don't know nothing. And now I've learned a bit more by with other people. There's this sense of learning how to do it, learning how to persevere when nothing seems to be happening, learning how to celebrate answered prayer properly, learning how to handle disappointment properly. I was just reflecting the other day with a friend who's uh, in an, another one of our venues. He's kind of in their house. They've been in a new house for a little while. And, and this, this, I was like, wow, you, the house is great. They've got a growing family. And we were reflecting that about five or six years ago when they were living in a tiny, uh, frankly, like a bedsit thing, where everything was impossible, that we met together for two years, every week for two years to pray specifically that God would provide for this house. Now, if he, we were just chatting and he said to me, if, if, if we hadn't have done that, I think I would have given up long ago and God would never have answered this prayer. And it was not anything about me or him or any, it was just that sense of actually, no, we persevered because we made a commitment. We're going to pray until something happens. And it took two years. I, I can't persevere for two minutes by myself. I'm like, Lord, I've asked, is it, why has it not happened? Like, what's going on? But with that sense of accountability to somebody else who's going to say, we're going to meet at this time and we're going to pray until this happens, that I'll be honest with you, in those two years, there was moments where I'm thinking, oh man, why did I agree to this? Like my prayers kind of got to the point of, God, please hurry up because I want my mornings back. 
That's kind of where it got to. But there is something about staying with other people, learning how to handle, how to persevere, how to keep going, how to even pray, what to pray, what words to use, how to pray in the spirit, how do you pray scripture, how do you pray? We need other people. But there's something even bigger going on here in the disciples asking of the question, Lord, teach us to pray. Because they actually recognize that prayer is the key to everything. Prayer is the key to breakthrough. Prayer is the key to victory. Prayer is the key to success. You see, in Acts, which is Luke's second book, Luke demonstrates that prayer, and particularly corporate prayer, prayer was the foundation of the early church's ministry, and it was the secret behind all of their growth. They saw exponential growth. They saw incredible breakthrough. The gospel went right around the known world. What was the secret? It wasn't a strategy. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't some kind of little document that they had. It was prayer. There's this incredible, as we read through Acts, we see this link between ministry of the word, the proclamation of the gospel, and prayer. Acts is not a ministry manual. It's a description of the acts of the risen Lord Jesus in and through ordinary people like you and like me. And as we read through Luke and then Acts, you see that prayer permeates the narrative. So when they were facing persecution, they prayed. When they had to make decisions, they prayed. When the, kind of the, the ordinary description, the description of ordinary, if you like, church life was just full of prayer in big gatherings and in homes, they prayed. And Luke concludes his book of Acts by describing Paul's ministry, who went on to write so much of the New Testament, as being preaching, healing, and praying. Prayer was huge. You can literally find, I encourage you to read Acts, and mark down every time you see the church praying. You can literally find the church in prayer in every single chapter of the book of Acts. It was foundational and fundamental to everything that they did. Now here, if I'm going to be really honest, is my concern. Because I have a, a concern that what was fundamental to the early church has become supplemental to us. What was a non-negotiable, the only way, has potentially become the thing that, well, it can't, it's just a nice add-on. I, I just wonder whether we sometimes often look at prayer as the thing that we do on the way to ministry when they saw it as the ministry. We've got this thing going on, so I better pray about it. I'm gonna be sharing the gospel, so I better pray about it. I got this event happening, so I better pray about it. Got this thing going on, so I'll pray on the way. They just saw prayer as the ministry. That was, and then as a consequence, stuff's gonna happen. Acts, the book of Acts is Ephesians 6 in action. It really is. Ephesians 6 verse 10 says, finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We have an enemy, right? For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's nothing to fear. Jesus has won the victory, but we're still engaged in a spiritual battle. Flick over to verse 18. It says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This is what the early church in the book of Acts did on a daily basis. It wasn't, hey, things are a little bit tough. Let's Ephesians 6 it up. 
It was, this is how we live right now in every situation, in every circumstance, putting on the full armor of God, standing firm against the schemes of the enemy, praying in all situation at all time, praying and making supplication requests for all of the saints. And this is how we're going to see kingdom advance. And this is how we're going to see breakthrough. And this is how we're going to see chains broken. And this is how we're going to see miracles. And this is how we're going to see salvation. And this is how we're going to see growth that matters. See, the question that the Gospels end with and the book of Acts answers is how are God's people going to take the Gospel to the ends of the earth? How are they going to do it? That's how the Gospel ends. The Gospels end and how Acts starts. How are they going to take this Gospel to the ends of the earth? How are they going to work out this kind of big spiritual heavenly battle and the reality on the ground that we live in of taking the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. How's that going to work out? And in Acts chapter 1, just flick there if you've got your Bible, the scene is set for the next stage in the big story of God. What theologians call the redemptive plan of God. It's like the scene is set. It's a new, new act is starting to happen in Acts chapter 1. And in Acts chapter 1 verses 12 through 13, the scene moves to the upper room. Now, I don't want to get hugely bogged down in this, but this is very, very significant. And it's very significant because the upper room, we've, if you know the story, you know you, that we've been here before. The upper room is the place where Jesus prepared his disciples for his death. That's where he told them. They're back in that place. It's where in the beginning of Acts, Jesus makes his post-resurrection appearance. He appears back in the upper room. And now post-ascension, so Jesus has returned to heaven, the disciples are gathered here again in the upper room. Look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And there's a list of the guys who were all there. All these, verse 14, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers, the company of persons, was in all about 120. Here's what's going on. Jesus has said, and has given them the great commission, Go and take my gospel to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples from people from every tribe and every tongue. The great commission that is still over us today. The instruction to us today still, again, in each generation, take the gospel again to all the unreached peoples. Who are the unreached peoples? Anybody who does not yet know Jesus, take the gospel. He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, Jesus says to us, to the place where you live. This slightly annoying neighbours down the road, the slightly even more annoying neighbours down the road a little bit further and then ultimately to the ends of the earth. I don't know where your slightly annoying neighbours are, but that's where we're going. Ultimately to the ends of the earth. What's the first thing they do after following this instruction? They have a 120 person prayer meeting. Now, it's, not, it's not about we've got to have 120 people here each night. But they gathered 120 of them for a prayer meeting. Why? Why did they do that? They've been given this great big commission, this great big mission of God, instructions to get on with it, and the first thing they do, prayer meeting. Why pray? Well, 
Uh, there's a guy called P.T. O'Brien who's I was reading some of his stuff the other day. He says, prayer is shown to be the means by which God has guided the course of redemptive history, the story of God, both in the life of Jesus and in the period of the church's expansion. Prayer is the means, is the method, is the ministry. Now, there are other stuff that follows, but prayer comes first. Look at the order. We end the Gospels with the Great Commission. Acts chapter one, there's a promise of the Holy Spirit. There's instructions to be my witnesses. Then there's a prayer meeting. Then Acts chapter two happens, Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the beginning of the next stage of God's plan to bring people from every tribe and every tongue. It says in, in, in verse five of, of uh, Acts chapter two that men from every nation under heaven were there. This is the moment it's always been about people from every tribe and every tongue. That's where the story ends. This is a key moment. The the spirit is poured out and salvation begins now for people from every tribe and every tongue. And as we read through the book of Acts, which is the bit that we miss so often when we read Acts 1 to Acts 2? Acts 1, we tend to read as there's a promise of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, the Holy Spirit. In the middle, there's a corporate prayer meeting. And we tend to so quickly miss that. You see, we can, if we're really honest for a moment, we can often hear notices like the one Yemi just outstandingly gave a few minutes ago. We can hear notices about coming to a prayer meeting and we think, well, it's only a prayer meeting. One of the greatest English preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon, once preached a sermon called Only a Prayer Meeting. And speaking about this passage, he says, the coming together of the saints is the first part of Pentecost and the ingathering of sinners is the second. It's the coming together of the saints, the people of God in prayer, crying out to God, and the consequences are the ingathering of people from every tribe and every tongue. Because we're about a great work, because we're about the mission of God, because we are about the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue, because we're all about that, we need to be all about prayer. Talked about this a lot, but reaching the nations people's advancing through prayer fueled by worship. This is all God's work, but we're involved. The theologian Bruce Ware said, God has devised, a, has devised prayer as a means of enlisting us as participants in the work he has ordained as part of the outworking of his sovereign rulership over all. The relationship between divine sovereignty, the fact that God's in charge and he, nothing happens outside of his control, and petitionary prayer, us praying, can be stated by this word, participation. It's a bit of a mystery, but we're involved. We don't fully understand how or why or what, but this we do know. God is sovereign overall, and the method he chooses to respond to his people is praying. So what are we going to do? We need to be those who pray. We're involved. We are involved in the biggest story the world has ever seen. We are involved in the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue. We are called to be partners in the great big mission of God, of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, of reaching unreached people groups, of seeing communities transformed, cities transformed, ultimately even nations transformed. That is what we are part of. So that's the story of the early church. And it started with 120 of them in a room in a prayer meeting. And the world got turned upside down. That's the model for us too. Prayer precedes gospel proclamation. Prayer comes before 
and throughout and during and after, of course, all the activity, all the action, everything that we do. And the act of prayer and the results of praying are often a ministry. Let's just be honest. Truthfully, God could have done whatever he wants. He's completely sovereign. Our God sits in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases, Psalm 115 tells us. But what he chose was to command his people to pray. He decided that he would choose to hear their prayers. And then he decided that he would choose to act upon their prayers. So we're going to gather this week to pray. Come and join us Tuesday night. Come 7.30, 8 o'clock start. Wednesday night, we're going to start a little bit earlier because we've got the whole video link up and people from Brazil are going to come and join us and people from across nations in Europe and not literally physically in the room, they'll be on the screen. Start at 7.45 that night and then we're going to start 8 o'clock again on Thursday night. We're going to be praying, seeking God. And if we want to see breakthrough... If we want to see conquest, if we want to see victory personally, individually, but definitely corporately as well, we are going to need to be a people who gather in prayer and seek God. Flick over to Acts chapter 4 for a moment. This is, again, a very famous story. Peter and John have been arrested and they're before the council. Like, this is a terrifying situation really. This is not like getting before Bexley Council, whether your planning permission is going to be granted or not, or your parking ticket's going to be overturned. This is actually a genuinely, potentially terrifying situation. It could have gone terribly wrong for them. But verse 8 of Acts chapter 4 says, but filled with the Holy Spirit, they demonstrate incredible boldness. And they end up being released. But look what happens. Turn to verse 23. When they were released... They went to their friends. Like in the, in the Greek, like literally that word means their own kind. They went to their own kind, which was the people they knew, their friends, and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, what did they do? They lifted their voices together to God. They, they pray. Flick over to verse 31. And when they had prayed... So they spent time crying out to God and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness, which is powerful and incredible. The place shook and then when they went, they began to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, how many of us feel like we need boldness just to live out our normal lives? Because I feel like I do. How many of you feel like you need boldness to share the gospel? You know that conversation you have tomorrow at work, which is, what did you do over the weekend? It's so easy to go, well, Friday night, not much, stayed in, watched TV, got a takeaway. Saturday, it was a bit of a, one, of, one of these days and this, that, and kind of omit what you did on Sunday morning. You need boldness just to say, I went to church and I heard about this king who is victorious and glorious. Because you, you know the kind of, the glazed look that comes. Like, I'm a church pastor, right? So whenever somebody asks me, what do you do? I know what's coming. I know what's coming. And so do they, which is why they hate it (laughs) in that moment. So what do you do? I'm a church pastor. Oh, man. So there's either like immediate shutdown of conversation or there's, so you're a vicar. (laughs) That's usually what happens. And then depending how much people know, they're like, do they give you a house? I'm like, no. (laughs) It's a joke. That was a joke. But uh, the next part of the conversation, the next part of the conversation, if it gets that point, is like, so what's that about? I'm like, I'm going to have to tell you now. I need boldness. I'll be honest. I'm a bit of a chicken when it comes to these things. I need boldness. 
Like, you want to live out this Christian life, you need boldness. You want to say no to temptation, you need boldness. You need... Where is it gathered? From the Holy Spirit in prayer. But the verses don't stop there. Look at verse 32. See, remember the, the, the kind of numbers in our Bible, the verse numbers and the little breaks, they weren't there in the original. It was just written. We stop at that point and then move on to something else and think the next part is kind of social mission, ministries. No, 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 look at verse 32. Now the full number, this is a direct result, Holy Spirit come in prayer, togetherness. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. What a statement to make of a church. The full number were of one heart, one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We sort of paint it as the kind of, like, oh, kind of nice ideal, never would happen. It happened. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them. There was not a needy person among them. Like, one heart, one soul, no need. Everyone met, needs met. Sounds wonderful, right? It was birthed in prayer. Came out of a corporate togetherness in prayer. Prayer's like the glue holding us together. Acts 2.42, they were devoted to all sorts of things and prayer. They were devoted to it. There's this connection between praying together, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then things happening. Lives being transformed, chains being broken, needs being met, community being built, friendship being built, genuine one anothering happening. Let's not miss the aspect of praying together in that. You see, this wasn't organized formal church prayer meeting that you must attend. We do it three times a year, you must come. This was gathering with their own kind. It was gathering with their friends, their brothers and sisters in Christ, so normal. It was a connection of hearts and souls. And an outworking of that was a togetherness, a unity, a family bond. You see, we're not a corporation. We're not a business organization. Doesn't matter how many people we get to. You know, sometimes people say to me, oh, the church has got too big. The church has got too big. There were thousands of them there. Like, we've got a long way to go until we get to this level of church life. And yet they were with one heart and with one soul. You can't possibly have family if it's all there. There was thousands of them. Like literally, what, 3,000 of them happened in one day. Like three happens in a month and we're like, what? <laughs> a little bit. They prayed. Honestly, I just, this is so important. The praying together, yes for breakthrough, yes for advance, but also for knitting us together, holding us together in one heart, one soul. You can discuss all you want and talk all you want about stuff. You can get into what do you think and how do you feel and blah, 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 and everyone's got their own opinion, but when you pray together, something happens in the spirit, in the supernatural that binds us together. Do you know why... So many people in this church have been around for so many years. Some of you have been here for a long time, far longer than I have. And you've stuck through every change and every up and every down and every good idea and all the rubbish ones as well. And it's not because this church is particularly great. 
It's because you've seen something of the glory of God and the beauty of the church and that's held together in prayer together because that's what knits us together when we pray together. You know, there are some reasons, I'm just going to finish with this, some reasons why people don't join us in corporate prayer. Last time we had a week of prayer, we actually sent out a survey saying, hey, could you fill this in? Would you be up for it? Loads of people did across the church. We asked people why they came or didn't come. Because it was anonymous, people were honest, it was great. People said a few different things. Some people said, we don't really feel part of things. I just want to say this, that the way to feel part of things, of being one heart and one soul, is not doing stuff. I'm not saying quit the team you're on, we need you to serve, right? But it's not about doing stuff, it's about being together in prayer. Because when we're gathering together in prayer, we're with our own kind. We are literally with our brothers and sisters in Christ and something happens that it doesn't matter if, if you're of this demographic and this race and this thing. When you gather with somebody else of a different race, of a different socioeconomic demographic, of a different age, of a different experience, when you pray together, there's a knitting that comes together. You don't feel part of things. Come and pray. There's a knitting together in those moments. Some people said they're unsure, never been because they're unsure what to expect, nervous of coming. I just want to say this. This is what happens, right? We are advancing through prayer fueled by worship, which means we can't, we're, this time we're going to come through those doors because we, we figured that actually a lot of people, most of the time you ever come to this building is on a Sunday and a bit unsure about, we go where to which doors? So we're going to come through those doors because that's what you do on a Sunday, all right? So you're going to come literally, it's, it's, it's literally going to be like a Sunday morning, except it will be dark. That is the only difference. Not in here, we'll have some lights on, but it will be dark outside. And we're going to come through the door and there'll be people wearing yellow lanyards, literally like on a Sunday, and they'll say, hello, welcome to New Community Church. I've not seen you before. And you'll say, I've been coming for 14 years. Thank you very much. I just want to point out, I go to some of the other venues and people welcome me and ask me if it's my first time. And I usually say, yes, it is. And then I get up and preach and they're like, oh. I was preaching in one of the venues not so long ago and a guy was got chatting to me and he said, you come here often? I was like, truthfully, no. So I said, no, not really. And I was sat a few rows back with him and we just got a little bit of chatting. Then I go to preach and he was like, what sort of weird church is this that they let anybody just get up and preach? So we're going to worship because it's advancing through prayer fueled by worship. I ain't got time, but there's such a big link between worship and prayer. So there'll be Chris Smythe with his gorgeous beard standing up here and probably some new trainers and he'll be leading us. And maybe Greg with his less gorgeous beard (laughs) on one of the nights. And we're going to worship a bit like we do on a Sunday. And then we're going to pray. And there'll be moments where we lift our voices all together, a little bit like I tried to get us to do earlier in our worship, and we're going to lift like that. And there'll be other moments where we're going to gather around and pray. And I know some introverted people don't like that very much. But there's something about knitting us together in prayer. That's what's going to happen. And somebody will lead us from the front. And somebody will probably say, now pray for this, and now pray for that. And now we're going to lift our voices, and we're going to pray for that. And we'll pray from Scripture, and we'll pray for some fruit and prophetic stuff. That's exactly what's going to happen. If you've never been, I encourage you to come along and find it. Some people say we're too busy to pray. That's a big problem. You're too busy to pray, too busy doing what? Some people say, I I, I pray by myself, but I'm too busy to pray with others. I'll be honest, that's also a problem. Come to this one. Because some people say this, I, I prefer to pray alone. Or we can have this mentality a little bit of what difference does it make if I'm there or not there? Now, I understand that sentiment. I do. 
Now, just quickly, just to clarify, I, I recognize that some of us are single parents, and coming out on a night is just impossible. There is complete grace for you. you some of us are married to non-Christians, and it's just, this is a big, hard stretch. Some of us have shift work and that kind of stuff. I totally understand that, right? There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's not a legalistic sense of, you must. And if that's in your category, you are completely released to not be here. Pray with us at home. But if you're able to be here, all right, if you are able to come, one night, two nights, three nights, if you're able, but the attitude is, well, what difference does it make? I prefer to pray alone. I just want to very, very gently say that that is such a worldly attitude that it's about me. Because biblically speaking, it's never been about me or you or I. It's always been about we. It's always been about we. You have been added to a body. You have been made part of a people. It's not you and Jesus. Yes, there's an individual aspect of you and Jesus, but you've added into a body, into a family. Eugene Peterson said this. He said, in the long history of Christian spirituality, community prayer is more important than individual prayer. Your prayers and your presence in corporate prayer matter. Paul in 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, you must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. There's something about the prayers of many. There's something about standing together. You see, the Old Testament often highlights individuals who single-handedly with God gain victory. So you have kind of like Moses against Pharaoh or Samson against the Philistines or David against Goliath or whatever. But by the time the New Testament comes, the anointed individual seems to give way to the anointed body of Christ, the church. We are part of a body. We together are a royal priesthood. We together are part of a people. We're not looking for individual superheroes, but a united and equipped body. And the battle we fight, back to Ephesians 6 for a moment, it's a battle that we fight together. There is a collectiveness. You are not in the fight on your own, nor am I. We need one another. Look at Ephesians 6. It, it, notice the we. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not for you don't. It's for we don't. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces, forces of evil in the heavenly places. As we, as we read through the book of Acts, we see that there is moments after moments after moments where we is needed. Not one or two. We, a gathering, a corporate moment, they, they gathered together and it wasn't because they didn't have WhatsApp in those days and so they couldn't just like take some, oh, send a message around and we're all praying. There's a place for that. Of course, there is absolutely a place for that. I'm not saying don't do that, but I'm saying there's something powerful that happens when the people of God corporately come and lift their voices together. So Acts chapter 12, there's this moment where Peter is asleep in prison and he's facing an exceptionally difficult moment and he needed in that moment more than his own prayers. He needed reinforcements and backup and in, in verse one of Acts chapter 12, it tells us that King Herod Agrippa was being violent against the church. That's literally what it says, he was being violent against the church. What did the church do in that moment? They got violent back again. 
And not in a physical sense. They didn't start like, get your shields and let's start. They stood together in a sense of military kind of, no, we're standing right now and got violent in things of the spirit and got violent and serious in things of prayer. They went to war, spiritually speaking. And it wasn't through any sense of, some people, what are you talking about? They didn't suddenly get crazy and start throwing things at people. They suddenly went, no, 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 no. You're being violent in the physical. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers. So we're going to stand together in prayer. And it says in verse five that earnest prayer was made for him by the church. A force so great that angels came and a miraculous escape happened. That's what happened. Why? Because the people of God stood together and a miraculous escape happened. Prayer is not something we do that makes us feel better in difficult moments. I mean, that is a helpful part of it, but it's a mighty weapon. Brothers and sisters, when the church prays, the heavens roar and demons quake. When the church prays, the heavens roar and demons quake. Peter needed a breakthrough and it was the church praying corporately on his behalf that secured his release. Thursday night, we're gonna stand together for those who need to see some breakthrough on long-term stuff. So even if it's not you, come and be part of the roaring, the lifting of the voices that sees the heavens roar and demons quake and chains be broken. On Tuesday and Wednesday, we're going to gather and we're going to say, come Holy Spirit, let your kingdom come. We're going to link arms. Not literally. I mean, we might, but I don't think so. And if someone may, tries to make you hold hands, you don't need to do it. I mean you can if you want but in those moments I find it best just to close your eyes and pray here's the point but we're going to link arms spiritually speaking and we're going to cry out to God we're going to say come Holy Spirit we're going to say come change us come and change this church come and change these communities come change this nation some people say they don't know how to pray or what to pray for That's why we need one another. Luke 11, Jesus tells us how to pray. We pray to a father. We're family, we're brothers and sisters. We say, hallowed be your name. You're you're more glorious than anything else, God. We want more of you. We say, let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is heaven? But the place and the presence of God. We say, let more of that on earth. We say, God, give us our our bread, our daily bread. Provide for us, break through. Like what should we look to God for? Everything. Everything. Solomon prayed for wisdom. Eliezer in Genesis 24 prayed that he could meet a pretty girl to set up his human master, Isaac. Like we pray for everything. Like Samson prayed for water when he was thirsty and supernatural strength to do all sorts of things. Joshua prayed for the sun to stand still so he could finish a battle. Daniel had a weird dream and prayed for the interpretation. Gideon thought God was calling him and wasn't entirely sure what it was about, so he prayed. David prayed for forgiveness. Elijah prayed that it wouldn't rain. Paul prayed that the thorn in his flesh would be taken from his side. The disciples prayed for boldness. In the New Testament, fathers pray for their daughters who are sick and dying. Peter asked Jesus for financial help. Jesus told his disciples to pray against temptation, to pray for lost people, to pray for disunified people, to pray... All of the apostles pray that Jesus would come back quickly. The whole Bible finishes with, come Lord Jesus. That's what we pray. And we pray, forgive us for our sins. Lead us not into temptation. But above all, we pray as those who are chosen. Those who are loved. 
those whom this all-powerful, all-sovereign God says, I can do anything I want, and what I choose is that my people pray, and I respond, and I'll heal their land. Jesus, we just thank you. We've been added to a body. We've been added to a people. Forgive us where we make it about ourselves. Forgive us where we think we can do anything without seeking you. Forgive us where we try and do stuff in our own strength. Forgive us that our prayers are so small that they don't really need you involved at all. Forgive us for not praying. Forgive us for using prayer for things we shouldn't. For our own glory instead of yours. But above all, we thank you. Thank you that you have ordained it that we can call upon the God who created all things, who created and sustains the universe, and you hear us, and you respond. Lord, we want to be a people who in 2020 sees great breakthrough, great victory, great conquest for the glory of God. We recognize it begins on our knees in prayer. I want to pray that some significant answers to prayer happen this week. Over these next 21 days, as we pray together, as we fast together, as we seek you together, we want to pray for breakthrough, lives transformed. I want to pray right now for anybody who doesn't know you, that they might know you. For those that need healing, that healing would come. For those that need emotional healing, that it would come. For those with mental health challenges and issues, Lord, I want to pray right now for breakthrough and deliverance. For those who have long-standing relational problems, Lord, I want to pray for freedom. For those who have got issues relating to finance, I want to pray for provision. For those who have got issues relating to job situations and circumstances, God, would you move? We believe you're the king. We believe you hear our prayers. We believe you're working things together for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name, amen.